Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. He was once the NBA's all-time leading scorer and its all-time leading rebounder. Yet, when you mention his name, very few recall just how special a player he was. And they often confuse him for his son, who spent 20 years in the NBA. Next, on Sports Forgotten Heroes, one of the game's early pioneers and a man who was named as one of the league's 50 greatest Dolph Shades. This is Sports Forgotten Heroes, a tribute to the stars who shape the games we love to watch and the games we love to play. Stars who provided us with many thrills, but when their time was up, they faded away. We'll take a look back at their spectacular careers, their moments of fame, even if it was just for one season or just one game. And now, here's your host, Warren Rogan. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Sports Forgotten Heroes. As always, thanks for joining. Today, we're going to talk about one of the NBA's all-time greats, Dolph Shays. He played for 15 years, 14 coming with a team that no longer exists, the Syracuse Nationals. Well, they sort of don't exist anymore. You see, the Nationals moved to Philadelphia and were rebranded as the 76ers after the original team located in Philadelphia upped and moved to San Francisco, and they're now known as the Golden State Warriors. Before we get into everything, just a little housekeeping. First, as always, you can follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on Twitter at SportsFHeroes. Follow us on Facebook. Find out more information about Sports Forgotten Heroes by visiting us online at sportsfh.com. And as always, happy to let you know that Sports Forgotten Heroes is sponsored by Audible. With Audible, you get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash sportsfh. Now, what does that mean? Well, when you don't have time to sit and read or you're not listening to Sports Forgotten Heroes, there's great literature out there and terrific voice talent to bring it to you in such a unique way. In fact, there's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And Audible is a great way to show your support for Sports Forgotten Heroes. Give it a try free at www.audibletrial.com backslash sportsfh. No obligation. You don't have to pay for a thing. Now, Dolph Shays, did you know the NBA was actually the BAA to start? That's right. It was called the Basketball Association of America when it first launched. And the first ever game, it wasn't even played here in the United States. In fact, the first ever game was played November 1st, 1946 at the old Maple Leaf Gardens where the Toronto Huskies lost to the New York Knicks 68-66. That first season, there were 11 teams. Only three still play today. The Knicks, 
the Celtics, and the Warriors. Now, the Warriors got their start in Philadelphia before moving on to Golden State via San Francisco. The Huskies folded after one season, and the BAA hung around for three years before merging with the National Basketball League, and the two became what we know today as the National Basketball Association. Now, the NBL actually got its start in 1937 and played in some really small cities throughout the country, including places like Akron, Buffalo, Fort Wayne, Sheboygan, Oshkosh, and by the late 40s, it had taken on a much different shape and expanded for the 1946-47 season by placing a team in Syracuse, New York, the Syracuse Nationals. The Nats, well, they met with success pretty early on, and when the two leagues merged in time for the 1949-1950 season, Syracuse had outbid the New York Knicks for the services of NYU's Dolph Shays, and that was a big deal. You see, Shays from New York was heading upstate to play with the Nats, and he turned out to be one of the greatest to ever play the game. And it could be argued, that had the Knicks ponied up the extra $2,500 to sign him, Dolph Shays would be much more of a household name than he is today. So just how good was he and what did he mean to Syracuse and the NBA? Here to tell us more is author Dolph Grunman, who wrote the terrific book Dolph Shays and the Rise of Professional Basketball. And joining me now on Sports Forgotten Heroes is Dolph Grunman. Dolph, welcome to the show. So glad you could be here. Great to be here as well. Hey, where does your interest in basketball come from? Well, I, uh, I grew up on the south side of Chicago and uh, went to Bowen High School. Uh, and uh, I, I went to high school between 1954 and 1958. I played basketball there and, and then uh, went to Albion College uh, and, and played uh, in Albion, Michigan uh, between uh, 1958 and 62. But uh, besides uh, playing, uh, in the 1950s, the uh, Chicago Stadium uh, used to have college doubleheaders. Uh-huh. I, I think this was uh, a, a pattern, actually, on, on what happened in Madison Square Garden beginning in the 1930s. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, at, between 19, oh, I suppose 1954 and 1962, when I would come home from college, you know, I got to see uh, Bill Russell and Oscar Robertson and Jerry wow. West. Uh, and uh, that uh, you know played uh, an important uh, part in the, sort of my um, I suppose, introduction to what later would be the history of basketball. Wow. Great names. When did you first hear Adolph Shays, and why did you decide to write a book about him? Well, I, I actually saw, uh, saw Dolph Shays play on television in the 1950s. Uh, the NBA uh, was able to get some uh, television contracts, and they would have a a, uh, a game uh so you know, maybe every Saturday or every every Sunday, mm-hmm. and uh, and of course, you know, my name was uh, Adolf, and there weren't a lot of Adolfs around at at that particular time, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so I, I identified 
uh, with uh, with uh, Dolph Shays, and and then I could, you know, picture him playing. I, I have that memory in my mind uh, that a two-handed set shot and so forth. Uh, and, and so what what happened then is that um, I moved to Denver in 1977, mm-hmm. and during that time. Uh, I, well, I, t- I taught at Metropolitan State College for for 34 years, but but along the way I started teaching a sports history class, mm. and I wound up doing a book on AAU basketball. Uh, and there used to be an uh, an AAU basketball tournament in Denver uh, between 1935 and uh, 1968. Uh, it was a real big deal in in Denver. But part of it that was really interesting is that uh, the Olympic teams uh, were chosen in a tournament uh, between 1936 and, and 1960 from uh, the AAU and, uh, and eventually the NCAA and so forth. And, uh, and I, I came across Dolph's name because in 1948, um, he... Uh, Oh, I actually should say 1945. Uh, he he played uh, in uh, uh, the uh, NCAA tournament, and the winner of that tournament then would go to uh, the Olympic tournament and play against uh, the NIT champion hmm. and the AAU champion. Anyway, so you know, I I didn't I wasn't aware of that until I started doing that research. And then I wound up writing a book on the AAU basketball tournament and then on Jim Pollard, who uh, played in that tournament, but then ultimately uh, played for the Minneapolis Lakers uh, in the uh, late 40s and, uh, mid- and into the mid-50s. And in doing a biography of him, uh, I, again, I came across Dolph Shays because uh, uh, the Lakers played uh, the Syracuse Nationals mm-hmm. twice, uh, and uh, uh, and of course uh, uh, Shays was on those Syracuse teams. So anyway, after I finished the um, the Pollard book, uh, I actually did a book signing at uh, the uh, Hall of Fame and uh, met uh, Dolph, and uh, and I knew nobody had done a book on him, and it was there that uh, you know I. I Talked with him about that, and uh, ultimately uh, flew to Syracuse and interviewed him. Uh, stayed there for a couple of days, and and then st- uh, we started a relationship where I, uh, I I would interview him over the phone and and then do research on my own. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. What was the most fascinating thing to you that you discovered about Dolph Shays while you were doing research for the book? Well, I, I think there were uh, a couple of things. Um, one is is that uh, doing research on him introduced me into the uh, the history of college basketball in New York City, and uh, at at that particular time, and one of the reasons why Dolph went to NYU was that NYU played all of its home games at Madison Square Garden, which at that particular time was considered the, the mecca of, of college basketball. And right. uh, CCNY had uh, Matt Holman as its coach. Um, 
Claire B. Uh, at Long Island, uh, and uh, Joe Lapchek was at St. John's. So uh, it was just really rich in, um, in, in, in basketball history. Uh, so that that was that was one of the things, and and then uh, I, one of the things that, that I thought was really interesting is that um, the Knicks did draft uh, Dolph Shays right uh, in, in uh, uh, at the end of the uh, in 1948, uh, and uh, Ned Irish was the uh, uh, you know. He he was headed uh, the Madison Square Garden as well as the Knicks, and he, he only offered Chase five thousand uh, dollars. The Syracuse uh, Nationals, which played in the uh, National Basketball League, offered him seventy five hundred dollars. So he wound up playing, um, you know, for for Syracuse, and uh, and of course, uh, Ned Irish would have a, a tough time living that down because. And Dolph had this great career, but he always played extremely well uh, at uh, at the Garden. I, I guess the uh, the third thing that w- was interesting is that when Dolph Shays retired, when he played his last game uh, in the nineteen, uh, you know, when, or I should say, when he retired, he was the leading scorer uh, and the leading rebounder uh, in the NBA. Uh, during the 1950s, so he had a, you know, a really a uh, a remarkable career. Now th- those those records were were quickly broken because uh, Bill Russell came along, uh, Pettit, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but for for a time, uh, he he held both of those records. Do you think the Knicks regret not upping the ante to get him? Oh yeah, I, there's, there's there's no doubt about that. Uh, that, uh, you know, that was a $2,500 mistake, uh, on the, on the part of, uh, of Ned Irish. Uh, and at that time, I, uh, well, uh, they, they just had it in the NBA. Well, it was actually the basketball association of America at that time, but they, but they had a salary cap and, and Irish, you know, just wouldn't budge. Uh, and, uh, you know, Danny by his own, who was the, he was just a small businessman in Syracuse. Um, you know, uh, offered twenty five hundred dollars more, and in nineteen forty eight, that uh, that was a lot of money. Sure, sure. Do you personally think that Dolph Shays would have been a much more popular name today than it is had he played for the Knicks instead of the Nationals? Why or why I, yeah, not? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I think so. Uh, you know, he he would, have, he would have obviously gotten a lot more publicity. Uh, and uh, and it was interesting because in the early fifties, uh, the Knicks had a a, a, a good team, um, and uh, and he would have he would have fit in beautifully uh, with that uh, with that group. Um, so uh, yeah, had he been in a larger market, you know, I I, I think uh, he, he would have uh, gotten more recognition. Now, just before you mentioned the NBL and the BAA, and they both actually merged to become the NBA. So tell me a little history about both of those leagues and how or why they ultimately merged to become the NBA. Well, the the NBL was was really a, a, a league 
made up of of small from small cities uh Oshkosh uh Sheboygan uh Hammond Indiana and uh and, and then uh Rochester uh, had a team uh in uh in the uh NBL and and so I mean these guys you know, they didn't get much money and uh uh, played in small gyms, uh, but uh, but that was uh, you know sort of the beginning of professional basketball. And then in 1946, uh, Ned Irish and uh, and some others um, thought that with as college basketball was getting popular, uh, that they could uh, use these arenas, which were used basically for hockey, that uh, that they could. Uh, exploit that and and so you had the basketball association of america uh formed in 1946 um what happened then uh is that there 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 was some competition for players between the two leagues uh pollard for example signed a contract for uh for for twelve thousand five hundred dollars in 1947 and so Ned Irish and some of these others, uh, you know, they just uh, figured that uh, it made more sense to, uh, uh, you know, unite the, those two leagues. And, and they recognized that uh, a lot of these small cities just wouldn't be able to compete. And, and that's, that, that's what really happened uh, uh, after, after the first year. So that you know the merger took place in '49. So the, the first year of the NBA would have been 1949-1950. And the Nationals they were formed in 1946, and they played in Syracuse through the 1963 season. Tell right. me, tell me a little bit more about the Nationals and how they came about. Well, I think uh, it's just an interesting story. Um, Danny Biazone was a, a small, you know, a businessman. He had a bowling alley restaurant, uh, but he was interested in sports and, and he sponsored, uh, a team, uh, and got annoyed when he, he wanted to do, a, a, have an exhibition game with, the, uh, uh, with the Rochester Royals and the, uh, the manager of that team, um, turned him down so what he did is he he bought a franchise uh in the uh in the NBL and, and you know I the franchise at that time just cost $5000 uh and and so um he uh, got a team uh, together in the NBL uh and then uh just before Dolph Shays uh, joined uh, Syracuse, uh, he he was able to get Al Servi mm-hmm. uh, to be the coach of the Syracuse Nationals. Uh, if, and Servi was a, uh, a guy around oh five eleven, one hundred seventy pounds, tough as nails, and uh, had already established himself as a star uh, in the NBL uh, and. Uh, that that team just kind of took off in uh, in in 1948. Or excuse me, in 
and uh, and you know wound up winning the NBA championship in in uh, 1955. Yeah, they were always a good team. In fact, right. every year that they played in Syracuse, they made the playoffs. What made the Nationals so good? And and just what kind of a player was Dolph Shays? Well, one of the things that Dolph told me that I think is was interesting is that you know, he was a, he eventually was 6 feet 8, but when he when he started at NYU, they they played uh, uh, a a motion game. So Dolph Shays wasn't a, a guy who was a, a, a guy who just played in the pivot. He was able to, you know, face the basket, and of course he had a two-hand set shot. Uh, most of those people, a lot of those players, had two-handed set shots, and uh, and so his game was a two-handed set shot, faking it and then driving. He had good anticipation. Uh, uh, so that he was generally the the leading rebounder and the leading scorer uh, on uh, the, uh, on all of those Syracuse teams in the fifties. But uh, along the way, they they wound up um, you know g- uh, getting some uh, really skilled players. Uh, and in 1955, uh, one of the players uh, who was a rookie that 54-55 season was Johnny Kerr. Who uh, played center, and it was it was really the first time that uh, that Syracuse had a good center. Uh, uh, Jim Seymour was a guard, um, and Red Rocha. It, it was Paul Seymour. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry, right, Paul Seymour, and uh, and George King, Red Rocha, uh, and one of the things, of course, that was kind of interesting is that the 54-55 season was was the uh, first year. That you had the twenty-four second clock, which and, which which Danny Bison was very instrumental right. in. Yeah, yeah, he's credited. Uh, they, you know, they experimented with that in the the, the summer of, of nineteen fifty-four, and then adopted it in the in the fifty-four fifty-five season. So it is. It was interesting that the very first year that the the twenty-four second clock was was used was uh, also the year that um, uh, that Syracuse won. Uh, the championship. Now you mentioned NYU a couple of times. Tell us about Danny at NYU, and I'm sure people would be stunned to know that at one time NYU was a college basketball power, and and right, he played right. he played during a time when college basketball was really coming into focus as a major sport. And like you said earlier. Madison Square Garden was the true mecca of it all. It played host to double headers, and it was also during the time when gambling reared its ugly head. What right. was the game like back then, and just how good was Shays and NYU? Well, of course, you know Shays. Shays had a had a great uh, a great career. He, you know, it was kind of interesting. Uh, he started his his first his first game uh, was uh, in uh, February of 1945. He actually graduated in the mid mid year, and at a pretty young age. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He was he was only uh, 16 years old uh, when when he played his his first game. Um, Dolph actually had an academic scholarship to 
to NYU, and uh, th- there were two campuses, and the gym was up the northern campus, which was close to uh, the the Bronx, uh, you know, where where he lived. Uh, Dolph talked a lot about what he called the pure game, mm-hmm. and one of the things I, I asked him, and this is interesting in terms of say Syracuse, um, they they never watched film. Uh, they didn't have plays. Uh, what, uh, what practice was uh, playing, uh, and uh, they 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 played a, a kind of game that had developed in the 1930s. Uh, th- that I think was played all over all over New York City. Uh, you know, pass, pass and cut, uh, pass and pick, uh, and in a way. It is uh, kind of what is happening now in, in college basketball, um, where in effect uh, you have positionless uh, a basketball that uh, the players are are, uh, are are required and can do, uh, you know, all things, so that you don't have uh, the kind of traditional center, uh, you know, forwards and and guards the way you did. Uh, you know, for decades. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. Do, do you see that same thing developing? Yeah, it's it's, it's 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 a it's definitely a different game today than what we what we used to see. You know, there are right. no centers in basketball. It's a crazy game the way it's evolved. And, right. And and you know, you you hit on something before that I just want to touch upon as well. He got a scholarship at the age of sixteen. He was a pretty right. smart guy, and I think he majored yep. in aeronautical engineering. So right. before we go any further, tell us just how smart he was. And I'd also like for you to tell us about his high school and some of the folks who attended the same school. It's like a who's who. Oh, yeah. De- DeWitt Clinton High School, of course, was, was famous. There's actually a book written about it, uh, and uh, and it uh, it produced... Uh, well, you know, Bert Lancaster was a, a graduate uh, of of DeWitt Clinton. Uh, you know, famous lawyers, uh, and I think you know the 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 school was uh, in, in terms of its composition uh, was uh, majority Jewish. Uh, Dolph uh, loved the faculty. Uh, so it was just a, 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 a great, uh, in, environment and, uh, you know, Dolph is a bright guy and, uh, uh, I, you know, I came across one of the faculty, uh, just kind of observing that at that particular time to have completed the uh, coursework that he did in the major that he had, um, and, and play basketball at the same time was really quite remarkable. Well, uh, when Gol- when Dolph uh, graduated from um, NYU, uh, it, it is important to emphasize that he, he did want to continue to play basketball. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's get back to the game of basketball. So he comes out. He he he. The, the Knicks and the Nationals battle for him. He ultimately goes to the Nationals, and the game, as you had just said before is quite different than it is today right. in so right. many ways. 
there, yeah. you know, you didn't have these fadeaway jumpers. Everything was right. a, especially with Dolph, was a two-handed set shot, and he was a tall guy. And I don't know if he ever dunked the ball. It was a. No, sl- he never did. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> never, that was one of that was one of the things that uh, when he scored his fifteen thousand point, he, he mentioned that you know he had never he, he had never dunked uh, dunked dunked the ball. Um, and the, you know, the other thing about Dolph that I think is important is he, he really was a, 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 a perfectionist. And, uh, in college, uh, he was the first person to practice. He, they had to chase him off the court, uh, at Syracuse. One of the funny stories was that he would always challenge a rookie to a free throw shooting contest mm-hmm. and uh, would, wouldn't count his shots, uh, if they hit the rim. Yeah, it had to go swish. It was it it had nothing, to be a nothing swish. but net. <laughs> nothing but net. And Dolph, you know, Dolph was uh, usually, you know, either the the best free throw shooter or the second best every season. Um, yeah, he was just uh, the consummate uh, professional. But there was a theory. Um, there was a theory to that too. In order to get nothing but net, you had to have a high arcing ball, and that prevented right. the opposition, particularly later on with the competition being guys like Bill Russell and and Wilt Chamberlain. It prevented them right. from blocking the ball. So there was a there was a theory behind that. Uh, exactly. I think. Uh, yeah. I think. I think that's a, a good point. And I think it's another interesting thing about Dolph is that, uh, you know, he started in, you know, the 48-49 season, but he wound up playing, you know, into the early 60s when when the game changed, particularly uh, with the introduction of the black athlete. And uh, all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you know, there's Russell, uh, there's uh, Sam Jones, uh, Oscar Robertson, Elgin Baylor, I uh, and uh, and uh, you know and he he played against those guys. Yeah, I think when he came into the league, I don't know if there was another African American in the league. There might have maybe have been one, maybe none. But by the time he he retired, the league was almost fifty fifty. So it was quite the change. I mean, right. the league right. really evolved during the time of Dolph Shays. It was exactly. slower until Danny Biazone bought in the 24-second clock. There was no three-point line, although he campaigned for it. Uh, right. I don't believe there was a one-and-one one foul situation until until he was in the league. Just, right. I mean, it was it was a different game. Do you right. think that he could have succeeded in the game the way it's played today? Well, it's interesting because I asked him that question, and and he thought he could, but that he said the one thing he'd have to have was a jump shot, and uh, and he did he didn't shoot a jump shot. He he had that two handed set, and, and then he drove a lot, and he was uh, ambidextrous. Uh, he could he could shoot uh, with, with with either hand, um, so uh, you know the, the competitor that he was, uh, you know I you know I think I think he could have uh, been I suppose what you know what we uh, at least for a certain period of time could have been a power forward. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talked about Russell a little bit. We talked about Chamberlain a little bit. And we know that they were just, you know, superstars. And for right. some reason, and, and the reason probably being that he played 
all but one season in Syracuse. He was he's somewhat forgotten, somewhat of an unknown. Um, he's not in the everyday vernacular of the right. NBA. Right. Yeah. And yet this guy poured in points and grabbed rebounds like it was no one's business. He was, right. for a time, the all-time leading scorer and the all-time rebounder in the NBA. How good yep. was Dolph Shays? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, no, you're, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, and I think that, uh, getting back to one of your questions, that if you ask a lot of basketball uh, you know, junkies like we are, you know, who was the leading scorer and rebounder of the 1950s, I'm not sure very many people would say Dolph Shays. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, I mean, he averaged 20-plus points sometimes. I mean, he grabbed close to 20 rebounds a game, and you know what? He could dish out the assists too. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about his team, the Nationals. Like we said earlier, they were – ultra competitive. They made the playoffs every year, but they always ran into a team that that just had a little more that season. Sometimes it was in the championship against the Lakers. That's the Minneapolis Lakers. And right. for a while, it was the Celtics. Right. So, yeah. so what was it about those teams that kept Syracuse from winning? Well, I think... Uh... What you know again, as you look at the history of it, uh, at least in the early fifties, uh, Syracuse was pretty successful against the Celtics. The turning point came in nineteen fifty six because in the fifty six fifty seven season, Bill Russell that was his first year, and and Bill and Bill Russell just uh, he just, he just changed uh, the game, uh, and uh, and and the. Uh, you know the the Nationals took the Celtics to you know seven games uh, in I think 1958 or, or excuse 58-59 uh, uh, when they got George Yardley uh, to uh, in a trade, uh, but Russell changed the game, and then of course in 1959 that was Wilt's first year. And, and as you look at the history of basketball, I think that rivalry between Russell and and Chamberlain just just changed the game and 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 really vaulted uh, the NBA into a, uh, a a true major league. One of the things that I found interesting is I, I looked through Sports Illustrated in the 1950s, and there was very little coverage of the NBA throughout the 1950s but when that duel between Chamberlain and Russell emerged I, I, I think that that played an important role uh, in uh, mm -hmm. in popularizing the game and then of course uh, when Minneapolis went to LA LA had Baylor Jerry West Robertson with Cincinnati uh, you, you just had you know amazing players mm-hmm Yes, and then of course Boston. I mean, they had Havlicek and Sam Jones, and they won the championship uh, every year. Every year, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, they they were they were just, you know, they were. Well, I, I'm not sure that there'll ever be another 
team with that kind of success. Yeah, they won That's They won eight championships in a row, nine out of ten years. But before they did that, 1955, the Nationals, the Syracuse Nationals, yeah. finally got over the hump, and they yeah. won the NBA championship. They beat the Fort Wayne Pistons four right. games to three. Tell me right. about that championship. Just how big was it for Dolph Shays, and how big was it for Syracuse, the small little well, town it, of it, Syracuse, to call themselves the home of the NBA champions? Well, yeah, it was. Uh, well, obviously, it was really big, uh, and and I think one of the things that is, is important to, to, to you know to. Uh, you know, to say is that, uh, you know, in terms of attendance, I mean, there were, you know, lots of years where uh, the, um, you know, where, where the team struggled with attendance. Uh, and, uh, and, and so obviously winning the championship was really big. And one of the things that you did mention is that the, 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 the Nats always made it uh, to the playoffs, which meant that they'd get a little extra money. And that uh, that was uh, big because uh, Biazone was pretty tight-fisted. Uh, again, he wasn't a you know he wasn't a, a big-time entrepreneur, and uh, and so when people negotiated contracts with him, you know he would always say, "Well, you're going to make a little extra money, another fifteen hundred dollars, uh, because we're going to be in the playoffs." Um, so I mean, it, one of the things that's important to see is those. Like Rochester, Rochester moved before the Celtics. Um, uh, Philadelphia, um, you know, they they moved. Eddie Gottlieb moved them to San Francisco. Or sold them to uh, uh, San Francisco, and and then of course uh, the Syracuse team uh, went to Philadelphia. It became the Seventy Sixers. But I, you know, it, it was obviously very big, but. There was there was just a limit to what Syracuse could do, particularly once, uh, and the NBA NBA became a transcontinental mm-hmm. uh, league because it, traveling then became more expensive, um, and uh, so you know it was, I, in, in lots of ways I suppose you could say it was a, a shoestring operation. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us a little bit more about Danny Biazone. Who was he, and what was his relationship with Shays like? Biazone uh, was uh, uh, an Italian immigrant. Uh, uh, he fell in love with sports. Uh, he was obviously he was a successful small businessman. Sponsored teams, uh, players. You know, loved him. Uh, they went to his restaurant after games. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, you know, he was just, uh, had, had a very close relationship with, uh, with, with the players, just, uh, you know, just, a a, a really great guy. Um, and, 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 and the, again, I think one of the things that was different as we think about changes is that there wasn't, these guys were who play for Syracuse, they weren't celebrities in the, the way we think of it today. They mm-hmm. weren't that, they, they weren't, so so they may play in the summertime, a lot of them stayed in Syracuse, they'd play softball uh, against the other other people. I talked with uh, 
one player who lived in the Y. Uh, you know, so so there wasn't this sort of distance uh, between the the players and uh, and you know. Uh, and and the people who watched them play, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It, it it was a, a much different feel. Mm-hmm. So let, let's go back to that '55 championship. What can you tell me about that series between Syracuse and Fort Wayne? Well, it was uh, it was it was a really uh, a rugged series. Uh, it was very physical. I mean. Uh, and, and it's kind of funny when you, I've been watching the uh, games right now, and, and of course they're just really physical. Mm-hmm. The star of Indianapolis' team was, uh, was uh, George Yardley, who was the first player to score 2,000 points in a season. Mal Hutchins was another great player. Max Zaslowski, Andy Phillip. Uh, Indianapolis uh, was... You know, Were they, they were Indianapolis? Uh, so, so just to clear it up, so everybody I mean, at home Fort knows, Wayne, rather. it was yeah, Fort, Fort Wayne, I'm, I'm correct? Sorry. Yeah, Fort Wayne. Uh, well, the, one of the things that uh, was funny about it is it was Fort Wayne, but they played the games in Indianapolis in, in that series uh-huh. because a bowling tournament had been scheduled uh, <laughs> at at in in Fort Wayne, uh, and and so uh, the. Uh, the home games for Fort Wayne were actually played in Indianapolis. Um, the 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 game um, went to, went to the went to the seventh seventh game uh, in uh, in Syracuse, and uh, you know the, uh, the, the 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 Nats won it uh, in the you know in 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 the last uh, second. Uh, a guy by the name of George King stole ball from Andy Phillip, and that 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 was the uh, you know that was the game. Uh, but uh, it was one of those series where Fort Wayne won all the games in Indiana, mm. and Syracuse won all the games uh, in Syracuse. So that's where home court advantage really played a significant yeah, home, home, role. Home, yeah, home court advantage was 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 key. Why why did the NBA and before that the MBL and the BAA why were they in cities like Syracuse and Rochester and Fort Wayne how were those cities able to support professional sports franchises and at what point did the NBA give up on those smaller cities Well I think I think the you know by well, really by 1963 when when Sir, when Danny Byazon sold the franchise, um, you know Syracuse was probably the last small city to to have a team. And mm-hmm. I think in in terms of going back to say the 1930s and and 40s, I mean one of the things is that at least into the 19, say mid 1930s. Basketball was not an interesting-looking game. It wasn't until the mid-30s that you had a uh, you ended or abolished the center jump after every basketball mm-hmm. uh, or after every basket. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really until uh, Hank Lucetti, you know, shot a one-handed shot and 
in the early 40s, the jump shot. So the, the game became um, faster uh, uh, and, and more interesting. And, and I think uh, the, the thing that basketball is kind of interesting because I think the, the players themselves changed the game, not only as you think about shooting uh, from, say, a two-handed set shot to a jump shot, but then dribbling behind the back, through the legs, um, mm-hmm. uh, then athleticism, uh, you know, dunking the basketball, all, all of that, uh, just made basketball, uh, an exciting game to watch. Um, and, uh, and with that, of course, um, you know, the opportunity to have a successful business and a successful league. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned this, you touched upon this before and what some might and what some listeners might not know is this. Technically, the Syracuse Nationals, they're still playing. That's right. The Nationals packed up and moved to Philadelphia and became right. the 76ers after Philly's original team, the Warriors, packed up and moved out west to San Francisco, where they ultimately became the Golden State Warriors. Tell right. us about yeah. Tell us about the Warriors move out west and then the Nats moving to Philly. How did all of that come about? Well, Eddie Gottlieb was the you know, was was the original owner of the uh, of the Warriors, um, and uh, you know he just had an opportunity uh, to to make uh, uh, some money. Uh, and, uh, you know, when the, you know, the, uh, Wilt played with the Warriors, uh, starting in 1959. So, so, you know, uh, I think in the case, both of Gottlieb and, uh, and Danny by his own, I mean, they sold their franchises for, for roughly $500,000. So I huge suppose money back then, huge money back then. And if you think about say somebody like by his own who made a, Five thousand dollar investment. Mm. Yeah, you know, here was an opportunity. It, it was clear. I mean, everybody in Syracuse, the writers, sports writers, uh, it, you know, there, there, there wasn't a feeling that somehow, uh, you know, the that by his own had sold them down the river. I think everybody recognized it would be say a lot different from say when the. Um, Baltimore Colts, the football team, moved to Indianapolis. A little different. Uh, and had, yeah. to, had yeah. to sneak out of town. Yeah. I, I think everybody recognized that um, it, it, they'd had a, had a good run. And and in the case of Philadelphia, of course, a big city, uh, and and with a you know again a, a basketball tradition, it uh, it 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 stands the reason that uh, that there would be people who would invest. Uh, and bring a team back uh, to uh, uh, to Philadelphia, and, and of course, you know, in '63 during that period of time, even in the early '60s or a little earlier, anyway, uh, that you had the expansion. There were there were more teams uh, coming uh, coming in. So, um, uh, yeah, I think that you know they just had uh, a good opportunity to make some money. 
One of the big reasons that they moved to Philadelphia was that no matter what they did, no matter how good Dolph Shays was, no matter how good Hal Greer, Johnny Kerr, Earl Lloyd, Paul Seymour, you name them, no matter how good they were, no matter how much they won, they couldn't put fannies in the seats. Right. That's exactly right. Um, and <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, it was just a case of, of you know, just not... Not not being able able to afford the, uh, a team, uh, and you know by the time you know in '63 when when the team was sold, it is interesting because uh, Dolph was the you know, playing coach and and then the coach for for three years in Philadelphia, uh, but they brought some good players with them, uh, Chet Walker, Hal Greer. Um, and 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 then uh, in 1965 uh, that trade was made and Chamberlain came back right. uh, to Philadelphia. Uh, you know, so you know, so so they you know they just had uh, in, a, in a short period of time a, a, a lot of talent. You wrote. Uh, I, I want to digress for a second here um, in your book. You wrote about something that I found uh, uh, really interesting. During the 50, well, you had a lot of interesting things. One of them was that during the 50s and 60s, the NBA met with competition as other leagues came and went. But the one league, if, if we can call it a league, that had staying power and challenged the NBA for some of the top players coming out of college was the AAU and industrial teams. Tell us right. about that, especially the money that industrial league teams were able to offer. Well, what, what those teams, and, and probably the, the, you know, the most fa- famous of that group of, of AAU teams who would have been uh, uh, the uh, Phillips team out of Bartlesville, Oklahoma, uh, the Peoria Caterpillars, uh, Akron, had teams and and what they were able to do, at least in, up until the, the the 60s, is that they were able to offer players uh, the opportunity uh, to stay with the company after they played basketball. Uh, and at that time, say in the 50s, uh, you players were, were were only getting contracts. Uh, Generally, five thousand, six thousand. Uh, you know, Shea seventy five hundred, uh, Pollard twelve thousand five hundred. Those were those were sort of out of the ordinary. Uh, but uh, you know, somebody like Bob Curland, who uh, played on two NCAA championship teams, uh, he played on you know, two Olympic teams. It was a very big deal at that time to be on on an Olympic team. So the AAU teams, you know, they offered lifetime uh, employment, mm. and, uh, and like say Bob Curlin uh, retired from uh, Phillips Petroleum Company, uh, and and that was true of a lot of players uh, who played, say, at Peoria or or Phillips or Akron. And of course, the uh, money back then is nothing like it is today. When you talk yeah, about nothing it. like right, yeah, right. I mean, and that and that all changed. You know, in 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 the 1960s, and that that of course even gets back to, uh, you know, why Bayazon would sell the team because 
travel was getting more expensive, but salaries were were going up, and the and and you know so by, you know by the nineteen seventies, uh, salaries were were getting uh, uh, much higher, and and of course you know as, as you look at the last I, I don't know twenty years, I mean they're now astronomical. Right. Getting back to to Dolph. The 1961-62 season saw an amazing streak come to an end. Shays had played in a league record 705 straight games. He was yeah. already, you know, the the all-time leading scorer, rebounder, and and right. actually 764 straight games if you include the playoffs. But right. he was injured in a collision with Al Adels of the Philadelphia right. Warriors. Now. Right. At the time, Shays was his usual self. He was pouring at points, grabbing rebounds. He was named an all-star. Things were going well. But in reading your book, I get the feeling that this injury really took its toll, did it not? Was this the turning point in his career and sort of the beginning of the end? Well, I, in talking with Dolph, actually, he, that, that obviously was important. Uh, but the other thing is he was beginning to also have uh, problems with his knees. And, uh, and, and that, that also took a toll. But, but after, after the, that injury uh, in, the 60, in 62, uh, then in 62, 63, um, uh, his knees were, were bothering him. And, and as I mentioned in the book, at the end of the 63 season, when they sold the team, uh, the owners of the 76ers uh, asked him to be the coach. And uh, and that was a decision that he, he regretted. He did have uh, his knees cleaned out. It, it scored over 19,000 points. He wanted to break 20,000. Uh, and somehow... Uh, he, uh, he he decided to be a playing coach, which just didn't work for him. Right. Uh, and that was a decision that he regretted. He did wished that uh, that he hadn't made made the decision to be a playing coach. So that you know, in that first year, he didn't even finish his season playing. And, and, and you're and, referring to the first year that Syracuse was in Philadelphia playing yeah, as the first Sixers. Year that they were in Philadelphia. And and I think the other thing that uh, you know, as Dolph reflected on this, um, he he thought, at least in terms of a coaching career, if that had been a path that he would have taken, uh, that uh, it would have been better for him to have been an assistant. Uh, that, but at that particular time, uh, often star players would would be playing coaches. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, Al Servi was. Bill Russell eventually was a playing coach, uh, and so it, w- it wasn't uncommon for a team to have a playing coach, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, or or to have a star player uh, leave the, a game and, like, say Pollard, uh, uh, a- after his career was over, became the head coach at LaSalle. So at that particular time, I, I guess it was just assumed that if a guy had been a star player he'd be a successful coach. Hmm. You know, one of the, uh, another amazing thing about the Nationals and Dolph Shays is the fact that 
they never missed the playoffs while they were the Syracuse Nationals. In fact, the Nationals made the playoffs every year of their 17-year existence. Right. And and yeah. only the Celtics won more than the 714 games that Syracuse won over that period. But right. the fact was, Syracuse, as we said earlier, just couldn't draw enough fans. They were always at the bottom of the attendance standings. And right. like yep. you said, with teams moving west and salaries rising, Danny, by his own, had little choice but to sell the team. How tough was that for Danny, the community of Syracuse, and for Dolph Shays? Well, I, I, I mean, there were, you know, there were a lot of broken hearts. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's just no doubt about that. Um, and you had invested, you know, a, a significant part of your life. Uh, to, to the community, and you know, as I mentioned earlier, there was a bond uh, between the players and and the community. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it, it was sad, but again, as I as I mentioned earlier, I, I think everybody recognized that they they simply they, they you know they simply couldn't do it. I I sometimes think you know the. The only comparison would be to say the Green Bay Packers, where mm-hmm. you have a a small community, could you know sometimes I'm sure you know people thought about could you have done something like that, but you know in a football season you're playing eight home games, uh, you know a basketball season eventually you're playing forty one games. Right. Right. Uh, well, there's I guess if you look at it today, I mean. Uh, small markets. I suppose Denver is a small market uh, by some Oklahoma City, but you know these are these are still uh, cities that are are much larger than Syracuse. Sure. So so they moved to Philadelphia, and the fans of Philly they were not happy that they lost the Warriors. Right. So they get a team to replace the Warriors, and it's the Syracuse Nationals, a team right. that they just didn't like because the Warriors and Nationals had some some great battles in the regular oh, yeah. season and in the playoffs. And yeah. now now the Nationals are their team. They yeah. Philly didn't like them. They didn't accept them at first, which which here they're they the Nationals come to Philly, make it their home, and Philly fans they didn't want him. They had trouble accepting the 76ers. Yep. How long was it before they finally did accept them as their own? I I think it it took it took 2 years. I think when Chamberlain came back in 65 that that was a a turning point. And and in 65 uh the uh Celtics and uh, and Seventy Sixers uh, played a seven game uh, series for the Eastern Division title, and uh, and that was just a, a, a great series. And it it ended with uh, Havlicek stealing an inbounds pass uh, at, at the Johnny end of the Johnny Most famous call. Yeah, and and so that was you know that's something that you'll see reruns all the time on. Uh, and and so and, and then the you know the following year the sixty five sixty six season, uh, the seventy sixers actually won. Yeah, uh, that the, to me the, is one of the most ironic seasons. Well, 
Yeah, it's it's just an ironic season. Shea stays on as coach of the Sixers through the 65-66 season. Well, actually, you were going to talk about – go ahead. First talk about the 65-66 season, and let me get to the 67 season after that. Yeah. So so they they won the division and uh in 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 66 uh, Dolph was named coach of the year but they 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 lost uh this uh, to the Celtics I, I think it was 4 4 to 1 didn't play well and uh and the ownership was un, unhappy uh and so so what happened was that Dolph was fired and uh, and they hired Alex Hannum uh, to be the coach. And Alex had co- had coached uh, Dolph uh, for the last three years in Syracuse. They were good friends. Alex Hannum was a a great coach, great guy. Uh, and uh, and in the sixty six sixty seven season, uh, Philadelphia ended that Celtic reign. Uh, they they beat him uh, in the, you know in the Eastern Division. And, and, and that's the to. season that that I find so ironic. So, so again, he stays on as coach of the Sixers through the sixty five sixty six season, but he right. couldn't get past the Celtics. He's named coach right. of the year, can't get past the Celtics. No one could beat the Celtics. They won yeah. eight championships in a row. And even though the Sixers had acquired Wilt Chamberlain a few years earlier, Shaves was relieved of his duties because he couldn't beat Boston in the playoffs. And he and Chamberlain never saw eye to eye. So like you just said, the Sixers hire Dolph's old coach, Alex Haddam, and they finally dethrone Boston and they win the NBA championship in six games over the Warriors. Philly's new team beat Philly's old team. Wilt's (laughs) new team beat Wilt's old team. Yeah. How did that make Dow feel? What were his thoughts, publicly and privately? Well, I think that it, yeah, it, it, in the case of uh, obviously Dolph uh, was 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 disappointed, but as as you've you already mentioned, he didn't have a good relationship with with Chamberlain, uh, and uh, and even after. Uh, that's sixty. Uh, the sixty-four, sixty-five season, or, uh, or, or I should, or in sixty-five, uh, he just got a one-year contract. So I think he kind of recognized that you know he was on on thin ice, uh, and uh, and Chamberlain obviously had a lot of influence uh, with with the ownership. They they wanted to win, and uh, and you know that's. You know that happens all the time in uh, in in this in the professional game. So uh, you know, Dolph is disappointed, but uh, you know, but he had to move on. Uh, and uh, as as it turned out, uh, you know, Alex Hannum was able to change Wilt's game a little bit, and uh, and then you know they just had a great team: uh, Hal Greer uh, and uh, Lucius Lucius Jackson. Um, and uh, Billy Cunningham, that was his first year. Chet Walker, that that was just that, that was one of the great teams, and uh, uh, and it's just you know unfortunate that it didn't stick together uh, as as long as it uh, it, it could have. 
Yeah, it was a great team, and it's a shame that that Dolph couldn't be a part of that. And yeah, even though he yeah. was he was fired by the Sixers, he wasn't done with hoops. At least not yet. He served for a few years as. I guess it's called the director of officiating for the NBA, right. a job right. that, you know, he took. He wasn't thrilled with it, but it but it kept him involved. And then he right. came back as coach for the newly formed Buffalo Braves. But that didn't right. go too well either, did it? Right. Yeah. Well, they, they just didn't have any talent. Uh, you know, it was an expansion team, uh, and uh, there was difficult ownership. And so – uh, that, uh, you know, you know, that was going to, in that sort of situation, you, you would have had to have ownership that was extremely patient. Uh, and, uh, you'd have to go through a, a couple seasons uh, before you were, you were going to have the kind of talent that you needed to compete. So I, in that situation, again, he, that he, he knew that, uh, you know, that was going to be difficult. Um, and, uh, so, that really was, you know, the end of his basketball career, uh, you know, or I well, his, NBA career, his NBA career, his NBA career. Yeah, and, the NBA uh, didn't do teams like the Buffalo Braves or or the Cleveland Cavaliers. They didn't do them any favors with the way they no. they arranged that NBA draft, um, right. uh, the the entry draft for those teams. But like you said. Um, his days at, in the NBA were over, but he still stayed involved with basketball. And like you said earlier, he was Jewish and yeah. he participated, had played a very big role in the Maccabea games. Tell right. us about right. them. What were they and what was Dolph's involvement with them? Well, he was, uh, you know, of course, the Maccabea games went back or they, you know, went back to the 1930s. Uh and uh, it, it, what, what happened is that Dolph got an opportunity to coach the uh, American team, and um, and it it became an important part of his life. Uh, his his son Danny uh, was on the team that he coached, uh, and Danny, of course, went on to play at Syracuse and then in the NBA. Danny had something like an 18-year career in the NBA, but the, the Maccabee sure. games, uh, there, there were, uh, you know, not only basketball but in all sports, uh, Jewish athletes from all over the world competed, and it was more than just athletics; it was also cultural, uh, and uh, and for Dolph, uh, this was something that he. Uh, really became an important part of his life, something that he hadn't given a lot of attention to, uh, you know, earlier in his life. And uh, he did go back to Israel uh, numerous times. And, uh, um, it, uh, you know, it just became an important part of his life. Yeah, and, really, and also yeah, go ahead. His, uh, his children. So, yeah. It, it, uh, and, of course, I mean, uh, in in addition to the Maccabee games, as I said, Danny had a, a long career in the NBA, and 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 Dolph followed it very closely. You know, went to as many games as he could, uh, and um, so so that uh, you know when you talk about Dolph Shays, a lot of times uh, you know Danny played in Denver for about seven years, I think, 
But mm-hmm. uh, you, when you mentioned that name Shays, a lot of people will remember Danny and and then and then Dolph. Right, and and Dolph had, you know, he was at one point the all-time leading scorer yeah. in the history of the NBA. He had close right. to I think nineteen thousand points, or just over nineteen thousand points. Yeah, over nineteen thousand. Danny yeah, didn't. Yeah. Danny didn't reach ten thousand. But yet, when you say Shays, everybody thinks Danny Shays and not Dolph Shays. Pretty crazy. Exactly. I mean, that's that's uh, another sort of irony as you look at the the history of uh, uh, professional basketball. Yeah. And and the cool. But the cool thing about it is there aren't too many father son combos that have played in the NBA. At least not to the level as Dolph and Danny. Did, wh- right. What did what did Dolph have to say about that? Well, I, I mean, he was obviously you know you know really uh, proud uh, of of that. Uh, there, there's no doubt about it. And uh, you know, as you uh, as you think of I, you know father and son. Uh, combinations, you know, there there have been a a, a, a few, uh, and I I, I think I, I was just try, I, I'm just trying to think of I, I don't know those as as well as as I should, uh, but I think there's um, uh, uh, you know a, a, a couple of very successful father son combinations. Sure, you know, at one point. Dolph Shays was considered to be one of the 25 greatest players in the history of the NBA. And then recently, that list was expanded to 50, and he is considered to be one of the 50 greatest players in the history of the NBA. Why Why is it important we remember Dolph Shays, and why is it important that his legacy lives on? Well, I, I I think if you if you look at the history of the NBA, uh, he is one of the the great pioneers. I mean, if you if you think about uh, the 1950s and and uh, the establishment of the NBA, there's Shays, George Mikan, Bob Cousy, uh, Jim Pollard, Bill Sharman. Uh, these these are the guys who um, um, you know, launched uh, the NBA, and uh, uh, and all of the people who are playing today, uh, you know, owe, owe these guys a debt of grat- a gratitude. I mean, that, there's just no doubt about it. Dolph, I want to thank you so much for joining me on Sports Forgotten Heroes. Are you doing any other writing? Uh, no, no. Right now, I'm I'm just. Uh, you know, I'm I'm retired, and I'm I've got lots of my own uh, uh, little projects uh, that I do. Uh, I'm keeping my hand in basketball, volunteering uh, with a high school team in in our, our in Arvada, uh, where where I live today, uh, and uh, you know, just following the game mm-hmm. uh, and doing a lot of reading, keeping up that way. But you have written a couple of books, and and if someone wanted to get a hold or read any of those books, where could they get them? Well, I, I think I, I actually like everything else. I think all you have to do is go to Amazon. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Dolph, again, thank you so much for joining me on Sports Forgotten Heroes. You've been a terrific guest. Okay, thanks a lot. I really enjoyed talking with you. The Nationals enjoyed incredible success during their stay in Syracuse. Like we said, 
Every year of their NBA existence, they made the playoffs and they won the NBA championship in 1955, downing the Fort Wayne Pistons four games to three. Shays averaged 19 points per game during the playoffs that year to go along with 12.8 rebounds per game. For his career, Shays averaged 18.5 points per game and 12.1 rebounds per game. His most prolific season coming in the 1957-58 campaign when he poured in 24.9 points per game and grabbed 14.2 rebounds per game. The Nats, like we said, were a terrific team, but they just couldn't put the fannies in the seats, and that ultimately led to them leaving town and relocating to Philadelphia just a year after the Warriors had left for San Francisco. In that first year in Philadelphia, the team, now known as the 76ers, and with Shays working as player coach, they went 34-46, and and after three years, Shays lost his job. The year after he was let go, the Sixers went 68-13 and and won the NBA championship over the San Francisco Warriors four games to two. At one time, Shays was the league's all-time leading scorer and all-time leading rebounder. He was voted into the Basketball Hall of Fame as a player in 1973. As a coach, he actually did pretty well. With Philly, he went 129-111, and but with Buffalo, after going 22-60 and during the Braves' first year, he was let go after just the first game of the team's second year of existence. By the way, Dolph's son, Danny, he played 20 years, spending eight of those with Denver and four with Milwaukee. For his career, he totaled 7.7 points per game and five rebounds per game. Next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes, we're going to turn our focus to the pitch and take a look back at one of the most flamboyant and dangerous strikers to ever play soccer in the U.S., the great Giorgio Quinalia, the all-time leading scorer in the history of the NASL. That's next time. Thanks again to today's guest, Dolph Grumman, and we'll see you next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes.